life is a culmination of our decisions. The question is, are we making the right ones? You're invited to join us at City First Church as we learn biblical principles that will teach us how to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. All right. Hello, City First family. How are we all doing? You excited to be here in church? We're excited to greet everybody in Cape Coral, Florida, where I think the weather's a little bit nicer than here in the state line, but we love you anyway. So come on, give it up for Cape Coral. Give it up for City First Anywhere locations. And our favorite locations, ladies and gentlemen, our favorite locations, Dixon and Hardy, God Behind Bars. Give it up for you guys. We love you guys very much. Say hello here from the Spring Creek location. It has been a little bit chilly up here in the, uh, in the state line area, but you know what? Uh, guess what? We are tough and we are resilient, right? Come on, come on. So give yourselves a hand for coming to church this morning, even though it's a little icy outside and a little chilly, right? Well, hey, the new year brings with it uh, a chance for a new beginning, and that's why so many people make what we call New Year's resolutions. I talked about this last week, but basically resolutions become reality when right routines become a priority, all right? We talked about that last week, and so this whole series on how to in 2022 is about putting the right routines and the right motivation and the right decisions into our lives. So this month, we're going to, this month, we're going to talk about the right things that need to be inserted at the very beginning of 2022. And one of the right routines that all of us could launch into today, starting today, is our Pray First initiative, which is our 21 days of prayer and fasting, all right? So let me tell you a little bit about that, because I promised you last week I was going to just briefly talk about, give you guys handles. Uh, every single year in January, and then we do an iteration to this again in August, we take 21 days and we pray and we fast, all right? And it's not a, you know, uh, something that's an obligation. It's obviously voluntary, but it is highly encouraged. And here's the reason why. It is because it is a time to take 21 days and focus on the right things this year and to build the spiritual you, which by the way is the most important you, all right? And if you build the spiritual you, that is the strongest you going into this year. I don't know what 2022 holds. I realize you watch the news right now or whatever else, it's a little bit, you know, everybody's going a little bit crazy again and I mean, everybody's freaking out, but this is what I know. I know that if we prioritize our relationship with Jesus, everything will be okay and that's not a cliche, that is a reality, all right? So we pray, and then we fast. And you go, well, what is fasting, man? What does that mean? Well, really, fasting is when you give up something that maybe your flesh wants, all right? And some of you, I just use a the term there, flesh, and you're like, what does that mean? Well, it's a Bible term. Flesh means basically the part of you that doesn't want to do, oh, like the right things, right? And we all have this side of us. We all have this like human nature, this flesh nature that wants to do our own thing. And so fasting is giving up something that maybe that your flesh wants to do, you know? And so why do you fast? Because it declutters your soul and it clears your mind and you can hear God about 
the real truths of life, all right? And so, what do you fast? Well, some people may say, I may fast a certain type of food. You know, maybe you say, uh, I'm going to fast for 21 days dessert or sugar, you know what I mean? And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That'd be great. Some of you might, you know, fast some type of food. If you do that, Please make sure you consult a physician, though, okay? Make sure you do so safely. Some of you might say, well, I'm going to fast, fast social media, you know? Or maybe you say, I'm going to fast um, Netflix. Like, for 21 days, you're not going to watch Netflix or whatever, which I tell you, you can do that, all right? I mean, I promise you. There are actually thousands of years of human history without Netflix, so you can do it, Okay? Um, maybe some of you might say video games. I'm, gonna, I'm going to go ahead and fast video games. Or maybe you're going to fast like, you know, alcohol or whatever. I'm just saying pick something and, and say I'm going to fast it for 21 days. And in that time that I would be normally doing that activity, I'm going to instead, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in prayer and reading the Word of God and be able to build my spiritual self, all right? And, uh, and it's not weird. I know some people might say, well, that's kind of weird. Jesus fasted and prayed. So guess what? We're just doing what Jesus did, all right? And, and so how does it start? Well, it starts today. It's 21 days. And, uh, and again, we're not looking for perfection. We just want you to try. And if you want more information on how to pray, how to fast, and what these 21 days are all about, because we have focuses every single day, you can go to our website. Um, you can go to our app. Uh, on the way out the door, if you're at a physical location, there's a little booklet that you can pick up for free. And again, let's just go on a journey together see what God does, all right? Put your hands together for 21 days of prayer and fasting, all right? It really is going to be a game changer. Well, today I want to talk about your story. I want to talk about your story, and all of us have a story, because all of us are presently writing a story that both ourselves and others will eventually tell, all right? And I want to talk about the fact that, you know, if you think about it, interestingly enough, our story is a continuation of our parents' story and our grandparents' story. And maybe even our great-grandparents' stories, good or bad, all right? And on top of that, our story impacts the stories of other people, like our friends, our coworkers, fellow students, and obviously our family. So you, you may have never thought of this before, but every day the decisions you make are creating a story that will be told. It will be told. Our story will be told by ourselves and by other people. All the decisions, big and small, are forming your story. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Ready for good news? Good news is this. We get to decide much of what the storyline is about. We get to decide. I realize some of you are like, well, doesn't God decide that? Well, yeah, he obviously on a macro level, level on a sovereign level, he, he decides. But guess what? He gave us this thing called free will. And do you know that your free will or your choice is more powerful than God's will? Which means you can choose. So therefore, we, through our choices, build a narrative. We build a story. And sometimes I realize the story that we have has been impacted by someone else's story. Maybe some things in our story are out of our control. That's true. Like last 22 months is to a degree. Some of the, again, on a macro level has been out of our control. No one in here invented you know, COVID, right? 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 Okay. No one did. Okay. So guess what? That's out of our control. All right. It really is. But I would say this, that even if 
There has been a story of someone else that has negatively impacted you. There are two things that are more powerful than their negative choices, all right? The first one is this, our choice. The second thing is God's power. Those two things are more powerful than anything else. So therefore, we still hold the pen writing our story and choosing how we respond, even the things that we aren't in control. So today I'm going to take you way back in the Bible, all right? I'm going to go way back to the first book, the book of Genesis. We're going to go back thousands of years in time to two brothers, two siblings named Jacob and Esau, all right? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them open to uh, Genesis chapter 25. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. If you're at a physical location, uh, we'd love to get you one. Otherwise, you could follow along on our app or on the screens. It says this, starting in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Yes, this is Abraham, like Father Abraham, who had many sons, all right? So Isaac is his first son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to be his wife. So he gets married at 40 years, all right? And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. What does that mean? Together, they could not have kids. They, they got married. Uh, Isaac was 40. We don't know how old Rebecca was, but they were trying to have children and they couldn't. And it goes on to say, and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. When her days to give birth were completed, like nine months later, behold, there were twins in her womb. So in other words, not only did God answer their prayer so they could have a kid, he gave them a double blessing, you could say. All right? The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. They did not name him Chewbacca, but they could have. Instead, they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So as they're being delivered, all of a sudden, the second brother's hanging on, right? For dear life, like, don't go out there. It's dangerous, all right? And his name, his name was called Jacob. Now, if you go back in the Hebrew, the word Jacob actually kind of sounds like a Hebrew word meaning heel, another Hebrew word meaning deceiver, all right? It says this, that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. I just thought about this. If you're named Jacob, you're like, oh, okay, great. That's awesome. My name means heel or deceiver. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I just thought of that. Anyway, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh-oh, already weird family dynamics. Dad loves Esau more, and mom loves Jacob more. And there's this weird dynamic. Can I tell you just something about families in the Bible? There isn't a perfect one. Even Jesus' family was screwed up. So if you feel like your family has weird dynamics, join the club, all right? And so it goes on to say this. It says in verse 29, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name is called Edom. We won't talk about that because uh, it's kind of irrelevant here. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Which is a very weird response. Could I get some soup? Sell me your birthright, okay? Brothers, 
Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now to understand the gravity of the story, we've got to understand what a birthright is. We don't really have birthrights nowadays. But back in this day, a birthright was basically given to the firstborn son. So the eldest son received automatically a birthright from the father, from the parents, all right? And what that meant is, is this. It was not just a monetary thing, but it was also a leadership thing. If you were the firstborn son, when your dad would pass away, you became the leader of the entire family and even extended family. You were the leader of the whole clan. The oldest son would be the primary person to write the story of the family and be the one in charge of legacy. And then on top of that, if you were the oldest son and you had the birthright, you received a double portion of the possessions and the inheritance being passed down to you. So out of all the kids, you got double of everything that the parents owned. So this is a very big deal. A very, very big deal. And the Bible states that Esau despised was the word, his birthright. What does this mean? It means this, that Esau did not value the opportunity before him. In other words, he didn't take seriously the responsibility. What he did is he traded his legacy for a bowl of soup. I mean, he traded his legacy for Campbell's Chicken and Stars. Like, I mean, that's literally what he did. He, he, he traded the responsibility that he had as the future leader of the family to build a legacy, to write a story, and on top of that, gave away a double portion of the inheritance, all for a bowl of soup. I mean, this is just the weirdest story in the world. Like, like I want you to imagine, you know, some of you have been through the process of a parent passing away and then there's a will and an estate and you're there with whoever the person is that's in charge of distributing the the wealth and distributing the items and and you're there with your siblings and and you're like nah I don't want that I'd rather have some chicken and stars I mean this is just how crazy it is and Esau let his stomach listen and his appetite entice him from writing a better story. Entice him away from that. How many times do we do that? Now, I mean, not like we're giving away an inheritance for a bowl of soup, but how many times do we allow an immediate appetite or a hunger for something to make us do something dumb? I mean, right? You know, notice something. The Bible says that not only that Esau was hungry, but he was also exhausted. You know what that tells me? Well, here is a truism in life. It doesn't matter whether you live thousands of years ago or today in 2021. That when you are tired and when I am tired, we tend to make poor decisions. 
It's really true. Our emotions are terrible guides at those moments. We don't see a true north, and we make a dumb decision. And we need to know ourselves well enough to discern when we are tired and depleted versus we are rested and clear-minded when making big decisions. We need to know ourselves. Because I've watched, and again, I'm not trying to be judgy here, as sometimes, you know, uh, people will say, don't be judgy. Okay, I'm not trying to be judgy. I'm actually giving you what I believe to be a true read on the last 22 months, and that is this. I've watched a lot of people make very poor decisions. Over this this COVID season, right? I mean, like, I, I really, I've said it, I feel like a thousand times. I think COVID has made us all a little crazy. I've watched people walk away during COVID from their marriages and from their kids. They're just like, done. I'm done. Or, or I've seen people walk back into addictions or vices that they gave up years or decades ago. And now they went back to them. Or people make four, poor financial decisions. Or they quit their jobs or education without a plan. They just don't feel like doing it anymore. Or most importantly, I've even watched some people that were, I'm talking heart and soul with City First, that have literally decided they just don't want to hang on to faith anymore. They don't believe in Jesus. They've walked out of church. They've walked out of faith. And it's been heartbreaking and I'll tell you the reason why. I'll tell you the reason why this has happened. We are exhausted as a people. I mean, we're, I'm done with COVID. Like, I'm done with this season. And you are too, right? I mean, we're tired. And so because we're tired, a lot of times we tend to not make really good decisions about the story that we're writing. Here is Esau. He had a hungry appetite for something to satisfy him immediately, and he was also exhausted. That is a toxic cocktail of items that lead to bad decisions. Tired, exhausted, hungry. Tired, exhausted, hungry. In what area would it be tempting right now to trade something precious and to rewrite your story for a bowl of soup, right? I mean, all of us have faced these moments. I faced them, you faced them. You might be in one right now. Jesus faced one. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, we hear about Jesus going into the desert, and he went there for 40 days. He fasted, he, meaning he didn't do anything except drink water, and he was tired. And at the end of the 40 days, the devil comes to him and um, has a conversation with him. We call this the temptation of Christ. And, and basically, this is what it says, the devil playing on his hunger. I, I want you to see, I, I highlighted that right, right here, okay? I highlighted that, all right? Playing on his hunger. See, the devil will play on your hunger, and I would say this, he will also play on your tiredness and gave him a real test, gave Jesus a test. Guess what? If Jesus is going to get tested, you and I are too, right? It says this, says, since you're God's son, command this stone to be turned into a loaf of bread. And I don't have uh, you know, time to go into the full complexities of why this was a temptation, but it was a temptation. And, and here's Jesus, hungry, he's tired, and the enemy is playing on his hunger. And I'll tell you, the enemy does the same thing with us. And Esau gave up everything, everything 
for a bowl of soup. See, when we're tired, we cannot take ourselves very seriously. When you're tired, don't go buy a cat, okay? I know you're lonely, but you don't want to be in a perpetual state of loneliness, all right? So, <laughs> I think it was $24 billion was spent in 2021 on dog and cat food because so many people during the pandemic and shelter in place went out and bought animals. I mean, like, literally. And then this article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, said, and now people are wondering what to do with them. You know what I mean? You see, can I just say something? I mean, obviously I'm being funny there, but I mean, but we make decisions, and later on it costs us, right? The Bible, in about two dozen areas, verses in the Bible, about two dozen verses, refers to God speaking of himself, and this is what he says, of himself. He describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how he describes himself. Do you realize that's not the way it was supposed to be? Have you ever thought about this? That's not the way it was supposed to be. God had to change the way he identified himself because of Esau's poor decision. It was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's the way that we were supposed to talk about God thousands of years later. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau. But guess what? Because Esau wanted a bowl of soup, it became Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How sad is that? How sad is that? In fact, Esau decided to write a different story and have a different legacy. And so many times, so many times we focus on what the decision is right in front of us and we don't think about our story. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Our story, our story. It's well beyond this moment. Why don't we focus more on story and we focus only on our decision? Well, Andy Stanley said this, and he's a pastor out of Atlanta, written a lot of books. And um, he said this in a book called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. He said, quote, the primary reason we don't think in terms of story when making decisions is that story is later. Decisions are now. We think about later, later. <laughs> As in later when it's too late to do anything about it. And that's really true. In fact, that book, um, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, some of the information from today in this series is coming out of that book. I would highly suggest getting it, all right? And, and I would just say this. I would say that we need to be careful of our appetites, especially when we're tired. Because you know when you get tired, you get hungry, right? And, and so this is the thing. You even get kind of hangry. And you can do that spiritually, too. You can get hangry spiritually. So we need to ask ourselves a very important question. And this is, if you don't remember anything that I say today, anything at all, just remember two things. 21 days of prayer and fasting. And number two, remember what I'm about to say, and that is this. You've got to ask yourself this question. What story do you want blank to tell? You fill in the blank. What story do you want your kids to tell about you? Because guess what? They will. They're going to tell a story. They're going to tell a story. My dad, my mom, they're going to tell a story. What, what story do you want your kids to tell about you? What story do you want your spouse to tell about you? Because guess what? Your, your spouse will tell a story, right? What story do you want your friends to tell about you, your coworkers? What story do you want you 
to tell about you. See, because this is why private decisions eventually create a, a public story. And, and so the private decisions we make create a narrative and create a story that others will tell and ourselves will tell. So kind of as we begin to wrap up here, I want us to think about this idea of pre-choice choices. I've been talking about pre-choice choices ever since the 90s when I was a youth pastor here, all right? Pre-choice choices are decisions you make before you have to make the big decision. In other words, you create what some people would call a conviction, Maybe you create a core value, you could say. A pre-choice choice is a decision you make before you get into the emotions of the moment or the tiredness of a moment, and you have to make a decision. It's the decision before the decision. So I'm going to give you some pre-choice choices that, that I hope that you take out of here, that you kind of go, you know what, I'd like to adopt that pre-choice choice into my life. All right, here's a good one. A pre-choice choice that I think all of us should have is this. I will have a story I am proud to tell. Like, like, make that decision now before a temptation, before you're tired, before the craziness of COVID kicks in again, before any of that stuff. Decide, I'm going to make a decision. Today, I'm going to be able to tell a story I'm proud of, not that I'm ashamed of. I don't want to have to kind of like talk under my breath when I tell my story. But rather... I want a story that I can be proud of. Not perfect, not perfect, proud of. You see, we want instant gratification, but many times the things that give us instant gratification gives us shame and regret later. So we have to think this through. Again, again, what is the story that you want to tell? The second pre-choice choice is another one I hope you adopt. I will have a story others can benefit from. So my story is not going to cripple other people, is not going to hinder other people, is not going to make other people's stories trip up, but rather my story needs to lift other people. That's, that's a conviction. And, and so you might say, I want to have a story that blesses others. It doesn't set them back. My story is not one that they talk about in counseling appointments. But rather, my story is one that gives them lift. That's a, that's a pre-choice choice. I hope you adopt that. Or how about this one? A pre-choice choice. I will not allow selfishness to ruin my story and the story of others. I will not allow selfishness. There's a guy by the name of Max Lucado. He's an author and a pastor. Many years ago in the 90s, I was in a stadium in Phoenix, Arizona at a Promise Keepers event. And I remember he said this, and he just kind of said it. It stuck with me. He said this. He goes, if we live our lives with this kind of a mantra, we will do well. It's not about me, and it's not about now. I thought, wow. So if I make my decisions, it's not about me. It's about others. And it's not about now, but it's about future story. See, that's a great thing. So I don't want to have selfish ambitions and motivations because that usually kind of writes a narrative or a story we're not proud of eventually. Last thing is this, is we need to remember this pre-choice choice. I will choose to believe it is not too late to have a better ending to my story. I'm telling you, because I know, as I've talked about this today, some of you are thinking, I've already kind of screwed up my story. Well, we all have. Remember I told you there's no 
perfect family in the Bible. There's only one perfect person in the Bible. That's Jesus, God. But guess what? We've all kind of messed up our story, but this is what I believe. I believe in Jesus's rescue story because this is what I know. He rescues stories all the time. He's done it by the thousands here at City First. Like people that made poor decisions and guess what? God rescued their story. Oh yeah, there's regret and wish you could go back in time, but guess what? God can redeem the story. He can redeem your divorce. He can redeem your wrong choices. He can redeem the addictions you had in the past. He can redeem the wrong choices that have maybe created damage in you and others. And guess what? You can have a rescue story. So maybe the most important pre-choice choice is to remember you are not too far gone, that God can still give you a better ending to your story. And to illustrate that, I want to share with you a story of a friend of mine and a friend of ours as a church. In fact, God rescued his story. Jesus rescued his story right here in this room many, many years ago. His name is Nick Durek. Watch this. Hey, City First family. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick Durek. And my wife and I, we are missionaries on the field here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, working with Zoe International. And some of you, as soon as you hear missionary, you, you have the stereotype of <clears throat> the path that they got to be on the field. You know, they went to the right seminary. They spent years as a pastor, and then God called them onto the mission field. Let me just take a minute or two and tell you, that's not my case. I'm a college dropout. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I swore from a young age I would never work in ministry. I wanted no part of it. And when I became a teenager, starting at age 12, uh, I found something that I loved more than really anything, and it was alcohol. I started drinking at age 12. And by the time I was in my early 20s, after I had dropped out of college, I was truly an alcoholic. I would come to church during this time and I would show up on Sunday and this is back when City First had pews. I would sit in the pew uh, hung over or still drunk, but I'd be there, you know, and in my mind that was good enough. See, 10 years ago on January 1st, so January 1st, 2012, my life changed. Um, I chose to become sober, and I chose to give my life back to God and allow him to be the leader of my life, and I chose to intentionally pursue what he had for me. I changed the people that I hung out with. I changed what I would do on every weekend, you know, or every night after work. Uh, I started to help lead a life group. I started to go on missions trips. I started to do all these things, and after my first year of sobriety, I was on a mission trip here to Thailand. And I, I saw children and I met children who were victims of human trafficking and were survivors now. And God had radically changed them physically, emotionally, mentally. I mean, these were kids that went through some of the most horrific things possible. And now they were restored. And it was only through the power of God. And when I saw that and I, and I would see the way that they would worship and pursue God, 
it convicted me to pursue God even more. So when I came home, that's what I did. And my wife and I, we started to pray about this. And fast forward a few years, we ended up walking away from our life in Rockford and moving here to Thailand. Uh, this month, it's our four year anniversary of living on the mission field. So for me, how I got here is God. It was that simple. It was God. I couldn't have got here on my own. He brought me here, and it was through so many individual choices. And for you, you may be the person sitting in church today and saying, ah, I could never do that. Ah, God doesn't have a plan for me. I thought that same way. I really did. And uh, let me tell you, God has a great plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. You just have to allow him in. You have to dedicate your life to him and you have to pursue him. And when you do that, I promise you, God's gonna change your life. And he's gonna give you a new story.
praise in Jesus name will you just go ahead and for a second just quietly have a seat if you're standing because I think the next moment here is actually a, before we dismiss a sacred moment for a lot of people you may be in this auditorium or in an auditorium or you are in your living room or car right now or a break room and you're watching this and you're thinking I need I need my story to be rescued and I will tell you thousands of people at City First have been there also now you might be two different groups of people in that. First, you might say, I need Jesus to rescue my story for the first time. Like you've never made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. Today, at the very beginning of 2022, it is a great time to give Jesus your life, have him forgive you of everything you've done wrong, and he will help you begin to write a better ending to your story. There's a second category, though, of people that you've already done that at one point, but maybe 2020 or 2021, you've drifted. You've just drifted. And you find your faith is, is weaker than what it was. And maybe you've even made some poor decisions. And today you would say, I need Jesus to rescue that because I'm starting to write a story that I don't want. And today I need him to also rescue this story and help me write the story that I desire. If you're in either category, today is your day. Let me pray for you. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you say, I find myself in one of those two categories today. No one's looking. If it's okay, I will. But just go ahead and just slip your hand up and say, I need Jesus to rescue my story. Just raise your hands. Hands are up literally everywhere. Anybody else? Anybody else? Put them up and write back down again at every auditorium. God behind bars. Even the Pando app right now. I guarantee you. Hands are going up in prison cells, living rooms, auditoriums, and even cars. And as you put your hand down, will you all repeat this prayer after me? And let's just say, God, rescue our story. Okay, ready? Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I need a rescue. Forgive me for the wrong decisions. Fill my heart with your purpose, your love, and your forgiveness. I embrace your unconditional love 
Thank you for rescuing me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, for everybody who prayed that prayer, let's put our hands together real quick, all right?